and Rise Up with Orion podcast. Thank you so much for joining us as we celebrate the National Heart Health Month. We have a great expert on our call today. This is Dr. John Ryan. He's the director of the University of Utah Pulmonary Hypertension Center and the medical director of the Cardiovascular Medicine Unit. Dr. Ryan is the Director of Cardiology Education and Chair-Elect of the Curriculum Committee of the University of Utah School of Medicine. He's also the Chair of the Clinical Advisory Committee for the School of Medicine. Many of you will probably recognize um, many of these names as Dr. Ryan is a sports cardiology consultant for the United States Olympic Committee, the NBA, the Utah Jazz, and the University of Utah Utes. So Dr. Ryan is not only an internationally renowned specialist and awarded clinician educator, but he's also a father of three, and somehow he finds time to follow his own cardiology advice. So Dr. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. This is a real treat. Thank you for inviting me on. Yes, I could have gone on for hours on all of your credentials and awards, but we really want to jump in and really pick your brain. Since you practice what you preach, you went into cardiology. So why did you decide to specialize in cardiology? Heart disease is the number one cause of death um, in European countries and in North America. So with such a, a big burden, um, that obviously is attractive. And then it's also, to a certain extent, preventable. There are lots of positive things you can do. And what's attractive about cardiology is that we have the biggest trials, we have a lot of science, we have a lot of data, and you get to use all that science, all that data, and then apply it to the person in front of you. So you can have a trial of 20,000 people who do an intervention, and then you get to apply it to how does this affect Tara, how does this affect you know, the patient that is sitting across the way from me or a family member, et cetera? So that is just really uh, an incredible opportunity uh, to really practice science on a clinical basis. There are holes in that data, and we can touch on that uh, over the course of our time together, but the, the science behind it and just the prevalence uh, really makes it a very attractive field to be in and rewarding. Yeah. And no question, and I think you you nailed it right at the beginning, is the statistics around heart disease are alarming. And I think, you know, there's been a lot of comparisons to heart disease with the number of deaths that are along with that versus COVID. But the reality is, and tell me if I'm wrong, one in four deaths every year um, is related to heart disease. Is that correct? Exactly. So one in four deaths in this country every year is due to heart disease. And that's sobering, right? Oh progress over the years, but it's just, it's too much. And it also, and part of the, the importance of February of um, Heart Awareness Month, last Friday was uh, Women's Heart Health Day, uh, because there's this historic concept that heart disease is a disease of men, and that only men get heart attacks. Whereas we know that heart disease, yes, is the number one cause of death in men, but guess what? It's a much bigger leader. It is also the number one cause of death in women and is a much more bigger leader in terms of second place. Um, yeah. And uh, so people traditionally have not been appreciative of the fact. And also, I think as cardiologists, to a certain extent, and as researchers, I lauded our research there, Tara, but we have neglected research in women as well. Mm. I think uh, that's changed over the years, but I do think that because of a lack of awareness, 
and because frankly that 90% of practicing cardiologists were men, that number now is a whopping 80%, nearly 80%, so we have not made um, many strides there, that men probably preferentially studied the disease more in men, and we have neglected women. Uh, so I do think that this month is important for heart disease in general, but in particular raising awareness of heart disease in women. We're one in two women. One in two women, Tara, will develop heart disease. Oh my goodness. And as a woman, how can I prevent this? I don't want to be in your office and nor do I want to be one in these two women that develop heart disease or one in four that dies from it. So what can I do to prevent myself from landing in your office? So first of all, I will say landing in my office is not the worst thing in the world. There are plenty of things we can do for you if you do end up uh, having to see me. But, and that's important because heart disease does not need to be your destiny. You do not need to be that, as you said, you do not need, to, you said you don't want to be that one and two, you don't need to be that one and two. There are, uh, sure, there are genetic and hereditary issues um, that we cannot escape, but there are a lot of lifestyle modifications that we know benefit, decrease the risk of heart disease, or at least delay the risk of heart disease, right? If you and me develop heart disease in our 90s, I think we'll call that a win. You know, mm -hmm. so the, what we, in particular, the premature coronary artery disease is devastating, right? Someone like you and me in the prime of their life, and then they end up having a heart attack or a stroke or something along those lines. So the things that we can do for that are largely lifestyle modifications. And I would argue though, Tara, that we shouldn't wait for you to develop heart disease before we do that. Mm. Once you develop heart disease, you can still make those changes and there's still a positive effect that you can make of that change. So if people uh, joining us today have developed heart disease, there are lots of positive things you can do to decrease your risk of having heart attacks going forward, increase your longevity, uh, decrease your risk of having stroke, et cetera. But when the numbers, as you said, are so high, one in two women developing heart disease, one in four deaths due to heart disease, why would we wait? And what I try and get across to people is that with the numbers being as high as they are, we take all these precautions, for example, with, um, with our data, our, real, our, mm -hmm. our electronic data, right? We've got mm -hmm. two-factor authentication. We know the risks of people stealing our, um, our personal information. That risk is not one in four. So we take all these precautions for personal uh, financial data, you know, social security data, et cetera. We should also be taking those mm -hmm. precautions for heart disease from when we are a young age, 20s, 30s, 40s, and beyond. When we're in our teens to 20s, we generally do pretty well. We're fairly active. You, you remember, you could eat, you can eat what you like. Um, but there is a big issue in your 20s to 40s when some part of your life gets very busy. You start having children, you're in grad school, you're having your first job. That is actually the most common time, and even with me, when you stop exercising. Hmm. Your metabolism is still going pretty good, so you might get away with it, and if someone invites you to a Wednesday night soccer game, you can probably still do it. Mm -hmm. um, but that kind of 20 to 40 range, it's important to maintain a level of activity and a healthy diet during those, because that really sets you up for the 40 to 80 years of age. 
However, it is never too late to make those lifestyle modifications and we can touch on them now. Oh, and I love that. And I think that is so important for everyone who's listening is it's, it isn't ever too late, um, but it's also never early enough to start. Yeah. So I think on both sides of that, I think that's, that's so important. Um, I do want to reverse just a little bit. You talked a little bit about um, hereditary and the genetic component to it. Um, how much does that play a role in, you know, the chances of getting heart disease? And does it matter if it comes from the mother or father side based on research? You know, it's hard to escape your genes. And, um, and certainly if there is a family history of premature coronary artery disease, as you said, with one in four deaths being due to heart disease, almost everyone has a family history of heart disease, right? Your right. uh, numbers. Um, but it's really that family history of premature coronary artery disease. That's really defined as a heart attack, probably less than 45 in a man, less than 55 in a woman. And, and that again should, so that is certainly additive, but now you're going from one in two risk of developing heart, developing heart disease to maybe a one in one and a half or even one in, one in 1.25. It's still a very high number. So it does certainly, if that's the motivator you, you need to make a change, then it is important to make that change. But even in the absence of family history, um, you still have a high risk of developing heart disease. So, um, but as I said, it's, we got a lot of good things from our parents. Um, but there is no doubt that those of us who have parents who had heart attacks at a young age, strokes at a young age, that we do carry that extra risk. And, uh, and hopefully that is a motivator to reflect, take it seriously, and work on your weight, work on, work on your exercise, not smoke. Because again, it is not in your destiny to have a heart attack. It is not in your destiny to have a stroke. So even if you have the worst family history in the world, everyone in your family, you know, everyone on both sides having heart attacks less than 45 years of age, that does not need to happen to you. And you can make every modification possible to decrease the risk of happening to, or be happening to you, or, and this is important, delay the risk. One of the things that, and I'm sure you're aware of this, that we often talk about is there's obviously, it's important to add, uh, years to your life, but it's also important to add life to your years so that the mm -hmm. time we have less time when we are sick. So if we can delay, again, if you have a strong family history, people in your family have a heart attack between 50 and 55. And if you are able to delay that to 60 to 65, guess what? You get 10 more years of working. You get 10 more years of being able to be involved with your grandchildren. You get 10 more years of, you know, being able to be active and so on. And, uh, and that's a fairly positive thing. So that's why I do think even though the family history carries a burden, is it 20%, 30%, little unclear, right. uh, it, is a, it remains, a, that risk remains modifiable. Yes, and I think, you know, anyone who has an active parent in their life, we always want to prove mom wrong, right? So I think <laughs> if nothing else, you know, to prove our family wrong and really to, to continue and take the best care of our health. Um, in your last segment, you did talk a little bit about exercise. If there's one thing that all of us should start doing today or, you know, 10 years from now, exercise is probably one of the biggest kickers to preventing any issues around heart disease. Um, what type of exercise do you recommend or does it just not matter? It's whatever exercise you're going to do, whatever one you it. like, yeah, whatever one you like, whatever one you're actually going to do. It does not need to be a large amount of exercise. It's 30 minutes of exercise, five days a week. That 30 minutes does not need to all be at once. It can be broken up. 
Um, but again, it's just something that you are willing to get into your routine. And the benefits, when you look at the American Heart Association has life's simple seven, which are the seven factors that you can do to improve your heart risk. Smoking is one. And um, for example, high blood pressure is another. The biggest, the two biggest ones that um, people fall in this country fall down on most are diet and exercise because 30 minutes, five times a week, 150 minutes a week, it's, it is still hard to do. Mm -hmm. It's hard to get up early to exercise, especially where we live in Salt Lake City. It's dark um, in the early hours of the morning. It's hard to exercise at the end of the day. Our lives are so busy, and especially in this last year, ironically, when everyone's working from home, you think you would have more time to exercise, but as you know, just the workday has become longer. Right. And uh, so finding that 30 minutes is challenging. So it's important to be something that you like to do. Running, swimming, walking, hiking, tennis, pickleball. My goodness, people love pickleball. <laughs> and, um, and, and there is, there is a benefit. There's a benefit of 10 minutes a day. There's a benefit of 15 minutes a day. The maximum benefit, Tara, is at that 30 minutes a day. So there's no added benefit of going over 30 minutes a day from a cardiovascular standpoint. Right. There might be benefit that you might want to look better. You might want to feel better. So there might be those benefits, or you might have a goal that you want to accomplish. You want to run a marathon. You want to, you know, um, you know, swim in a, uh, swim, you know, for long distance or something along those lines. So there might be that goal, uh, but there's no added cardiovascular benefit. So, and actually, forgive me for that beep. And actually, um, for now to get to harm, some people bring this up, Tara. They say, "I've heard that too much exercise is bad for you." Right. That's actually quite a lot. It's actually about ten hours a week is where the harm comes in. For a runner, it's about a hundred miles a week. There are very few people. I can tell you, there are very few people in North America who are are exercising ten hours a week. If my biggest problem, if the, most of the people coming into me in clinic were because they exercise too much. <laughs> I would not have a very busy thing. Yes, so, yeah. So, so I do think that mostly when you get to that 30 minutes, from that 30 minutes a day to two hours a day, it's really level. And then at the two hours, you start seeing some scarring. And this is the same, you know, this is the same that you're more likely to get other repetitive injuries, right? Arthritis, you know, yeah. and other injuries, stress factors, et cetera. So 30 minutes, five days a week, take two days off, take two days off and get your heart rate up and whatever the exercise it is that you want to do is good enough. Yeah, do something that I that you love. We talk about a lot that a lot here at Orion is, you know, just making sure that you're enjoying it because exercise shouldn't be torture. It shouldn't be something that, you know, hurts um, whether that be physically or mentally. So again, I think that's fantastic advice. Um, switching to the nutrition side of things that you mentioned, um, there's a lot of fad diets. There's a lot of nutrition plans. There's a lot in the media now, you know, eggs are good, eggs are bad, salt's good, but sea salt's better. There's so much that is out there. Um, so from your cardiologist standpoint, what should we be eating? That's when I mentioned at the beginning that, um, we have a lot of data and we have a lot of good science, but there are holes in our data. The nutrition science, unfortunately, has been uh, one of the biggest challenges we have because exactly what you said, diets come and they go and there's, and you know this as well from your own work, there, 
people can have ulterior motives, right? There can be secondary gains for promoting a diet um, that people can have. The, the biggest benefit is your Mediterranean diet. The diet that, the diet that has been shown, this is where the science has brought us, the diet has, that has been shown to decrease the risk of having a heart attack is a Mediterranean diet. Leafy green vegetables, lots of vegetables, substituting out not vegetables with vegetables. And the more vegetables you eat, as you know, the less likely you are to eat other things, the less likely you are to snack, the less likely you are to have um, uh, high, you know, high carbohydrate, um, uh, fructose, corn syrup, um, carbonated beverages, etc. So if you can add vegetables to your diet, the main thing that I try to encourage people is that a third of their plate, even a half of their plate, should be a vegetable, a leafy green vegetable every time they eat. And that, as I said, that when you introduce the vegetables into your diet, we know there's a heart benefit, and then you're less likely to have other things in your diet. Listen, life is hard. Steak every now and then is enjoyable. And, um, and I think it's now, having, but having a burger every day isn't great. So substituting out meats with vegetables, substituting out um, uh, soft drinks with vegetables, substituting out um, cookies with vegetables, making that substitution. Um, and it's about, it's a hard to do. Mm-hmm. And it's challenging. Um, I, wife Tina just wrote a paper on this in terms of, because it's a social determinant of health as well, right? Nutrition mm-hmm. and actually there are lots of parts, places, for example, when I worked in, Chicago, there were large parts of Chicago, there were even parts of Salt Lake City, where getting access to fresh fruits and vegetables is challenging. It's hard. If you are working two jobs, two, three jobs at a time, going to the grocery store to get fruits and vegetables, fresh fruits and vegetables is very challenging. So there is a a social determinant of health here uh, that uh, introduces obstacles to do this. Um, But I do think that getting that healthy habit and then passing it on, listen, all of us as well want, we talked about our mothers earlier, all of our mothers, all of us want our children to live healthier lives, right? That's been, that's a, a natural goal that all of us have. And I think as we introduce fruits and vegetables, again, you asked about the hereditary component and the genetic component. And the reason why the genetics, why I stumbled, or at least what we couldn't give you specifics on the genetics percentages, is a lot of the habits that increase your risk of having heart attacks also run in families. We know, for example, that obesity runs in families. We know, for example, that smoking runs in families. That's not a genetic issue necessarily, but it is passed down from one generation to another. So that's why I think if we can introduce fresh fruits and vegetables into our diet, then your sons, my daughters, hopefully will have a healthier diet going forward and then decrease their risk of developing heart disease. No question, right? We want to be the heroes for our kids through, they call it direct observation. I am with you 100%. If they see me diving into, you know, the pan of brownies every evening, they're going to be sneaking it behind my back too. No question. (laughs) Um, So we did have a question that was posed about tracking macros. Do you think that's important or is it really just getting the fruits and vegetables on your plate? Do you think it's important really to dial it down to that level? I think it's a it's another motivator. I think if that's your motivation, then I think absolutely go for it. If that's what drives you to eat more, this is why heart rate monitoring, for example, 
we've exercised for millennia without ever knowing what our heart rate is. Mm-hmm. Uh, or the number of steps we're getting. <laughs> the number of steps we're getting, yeah. exactly. But people find that as a motivator. People find charting their macros as a motivator. So if that is what helps you pay more attention to your diet, pay more attention to your body, then absolutely go for it. Great. Um, Dr. Ryan, what about stress? I think, you know, living through the pandemic that we've been in, I'm sure this is what you talk about day after day, a lot of what you talk about with the pandemic that we're in the middle of. What's the impact of stress um, on our heart health? There is no doubt that uh, stress adds to our blood pressure. It increases the risk of heart attack. Um, it also it also triggers a lot of the other things that we've talked about. Makes mm-hmm. you more likely to drink more alcohol, for example. Makes you more likely to eat more, so you're more likely to gain weight. It's very a lot of people exercise to decrease their stress, but it's very hard to get that motivation to exercise if you are stressed. So there's the direct effect of stress uh, raises blood pressure, um, uh, introduces some endothelial dysfunction. The endothelium is the lining of the blood vessels of the heart. Some of that, that definitely changes in the setting of stress. And then there's the secondary effect of stress, as I said, weight gain, more likely to smoke, uh, less likely to exercise. It is hard to avoid stress in this country. No um, question. <laughs> yeah, I can't do it. No. Uh, and um, so I think finding ways of handling your stress, finding positive ways to uh, manage the stress and to recognize it um, so that it is changed into something that is positive and a growth um, component is very hard to do but is a very positive thing to do. It involves, but listen, we can't do this alone, it involves recognizing, it involves talking to your family, it involves talking to, to those close to you. If you don't have people close to you, it involves you know reaching out to programs like yours, um, it involves reaching out to social workers, maybe through, through church support or, uh, or other kind of social networks that you have. Um, but you're absolutely right. We put such an emphasis on smoking. We put such an emphasis on weight management. We put such an emphasis on exercise. We don't, we have, I think, largely through work, work such as your companies and others, I think we have recognized the importance of mental health um, but I still do think that there is a reluctancy to acknowledge stress. There is a reluctancy to share your stress with other people. And that is just damaging. It's damaging from a heart health and it's damaging from a, a personal health as well in terms of your relationship with people. Definitely. And I think, you know, the society is really trying to normalize that. It's trying to normalize mental health and emotional health. And, you know, we're all going through this together. So, and it's never, you know, we all can seek help in whatever matter that is. So we're not quite as lonely and we have those people on our side. So in the last couple of minutes together, what are those golden nuggets that you have? We haven't talked about that here at Orion that you would love to share with our listeners today on, you know, your advice, not maybe things that you do for yourself or those things that, you know, our listeners can take into account and implement today. I think it comes back to it that heart disease does not need to be your destiny. You do not need to, even if you have had a heart attack, even if there are other signs of heart disease, it does not need to define you. We've done a very good job with 
and this it's admirable and we need to replicate it. We've done a very good job with cancer in this country, cancer survivorship. We don't talk about being a heart attack survivor enough or a heart disease survivor. So I do think that um, it is important to recognize that you can change your future when it comes to heart disease. And then it's also important that your heart is healthy enough for exercise. It is very hard to damage your heart by doing exercise. So I think sometimes there can be a hesitancy uh, and that people say, listen, I'm not going to be able to run a marathon. I'm not going to be able to, you know, I, I have this weight. Five minutes of exercise is a, is, is a huge panacea for heart disease. 30 minutes of exercise is better than any medicine uh, that I can prescribe. And if you're able to introduce those 30 medicines, then you're able to avoid decreased risk of having heart attacks in the future or delay the progression of heart disease and avoid needing to be started on medicines. Because as you know from your own work, people don't want to be on medicines. For my work, I don't want to, I don't want to start medicines. The best day in my clinic, when you come into my office, Tara, 45 years from now, the best day in my clinic is when I stop your medicines. That is a triumph for me because we have discontinued the medicine. No question. We, we should be ringing the cardiology bell like they do, you know, in on, oncology. No question about it. <laughs> well, thank you so much. And thank you to all of our listeners. I appreciate all of your expertise. We've got a lot of great questions. Sorry, we didn't get around to answering all of them. We could be here for days, I'm sure. But you are a busy man. You need to get back to those patients. Um, but again, I really appreciate your time. And hopefully we can do this again. I'll be delighted. Congratulations on your work here at Orient and I'm delighted to do this anytime. Sounds good. Thanks, Dr. Ryan.